Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I fear that I may under-deliver on uh, Chris's promise that uh, I'll explain this passage. Uh, we will cover some of it, but uh, maybe not as much as you might hope. I did actually write an article on, uh, on Romans 7 a number of years ago, uh, which you can get on my academia.edu webpage. <laughs> if you're feeling like geeking it up this afternoon, go there. That's, a, that's actually pretty accessible, uh, that article. The other one there, maybe not so much. Uh, they're still interesting. I'm a bit worried about how this sermon is going to go today as well. I mistakenly stapled the wrong piece of paper this morning, so there's some holes in my paper. I don't know if you can see those, uh, which may just be quite distracting, but um, probably more so for me than for you. Uh, 
but we'll just we'll work together to uh, to get through it. Well, there are four questions I think. Uh, on a more serious note, four questions, I think, which are pretty common among Christians. Uh, these might be questions that you have asked or which other people have asked you. So one is, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Or how does what Jesus did out there, becoming a man, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, how does what Jesus did out there help me over here? What do I need to grow in following Jesus? How do I know that I'm really saved? I reckon they're probably the four most common questions uh, that I would hear. And the answer to all those questions lies in the work of the Holy Spirit and in the application of the work of Jesus through, uh, to us through the Holy Spirit. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through Uh, a series on the Holy Spirit, thinking about uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives and in the world. We've looked at how the Spirit is God together with the Father and the Son. We've seen how the Spirit speaks. This morning we're thinking about the Spirit's role in our redemption, or if you like, the Spirit's role in our salvation. The first thing I think to say about the work of the Spirit in relation to our salvation is that the gift of the Holy Spirit... Uh, is the fruit of the work of Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the work of Jesus. Without the work uh, of Jesus, we have no access to the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, when Jesus begins his ministry, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus will baptise people with the Holy Spirit. He says in Matthew 3.11, I baptise you with, uh, John says, sorry, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with uh, the Holy Spirit and with fire. John can cleanse people with water, but Jesus can cleanse people through the work of the Holy Spirit. That promise comes to fulfilment on the day of Pentecost when Peter says in Acts chapter 2, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That is, at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out as John the Baptist uh, had foreshadowed. And in John chapter 7, Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Notice two things from that. First, Jesus says that a life without the Spirit is a thirsty life. A life without the Spirit is like living with an unquenched thirst. And the way to quench that thirst is to come to Jesus to drink. That is, Jesus is the one through whom we receive the Holy Spirit. Second, Jesus says that the gift of the Spirit which he gives is dependent on his glorification, which in the Gospel of John refers to his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It's not that the Spirit was absent before that, that the Spirit was absent in the Old Testament. But as Jesus says earlier in John's Gospel, he gives the Spirit without measure. There was a a sense in which the experience of the Spirit among God's people in the Old Testament was powerful but limited. 
It was limited by the fact that our sin had not yet been dealt with, that God's wrath and anger towards us had not yet been put away. The Spirit dwelled among the people of God, but not in them. The Spirit gave gifts to the people of God, but they didn't yet benefit from the work of Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the work of Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means that we don't receive the Holy Spirit except by believing the gospel and trusting in the finished work of Jesus. We can't receive the Spirit by any other route, by any other means. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it, was, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? The implication is, of course, it's by believing what you heard. You cannot get the spirit, you cannot receive the spirit of God by any other route, by any other means, except by believing the gospel and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't receive the spirit of God by trying to be a better person. You can't receive the Spirit of God by singing great songs, even songs about the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Spirit of God by turning up the reverb on the music. There's a great story in J.D. Greer's book, uh, uh, Jesus Continued, where he talks about some musicians who've gathered to record some songs and the lady starts playing and she says, no, wait, we've got to stop, the Holy Spirit's not here. And so they anoint the desk with oil and all this kind of stuff and pray and, uh, and, uh, and they start again, still no spirit, still no spirit, and they try all these things until finally the, uh, the guy on sound turns up the reverb and the lady goes, right, the Spirit's here, <laughs> the Spirit's here now, we can go on. You don't get the Spirit by singing great songs, by anointing things or people with oil, by holding special services, by holding special festivals or special celebrations. How silly to think that the great obstacle uh, to the presence of the Spirit in our lives can be solved by such trivialities. The great obstacle to the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives is sin. And the only way that our sin can be dealt with is on the cross of Jesus Christ, the atoning death of Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing, actually. <laughs> because it means that our access to the Spirit of God isn't dependent on the vicissitudes of our lives. It isn't dependent on the ups and downs that we go through. It's dependent on the firm foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. We receive the Spirit by believing the gospel and trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And we don't receive more of the Spirit by doing anything else than believing the gospel and trusting in the finished work of Christ. So first then, the gift of the Spirit is the fruit of the work of Jesus. But second, the central work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us with Jesus. The Spirit takes the work of Jesus out over there and applies it to us here. So Paul says uh, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not spiritual there in the sense of ethereal and fluffy as opposed to concrete uh, blessings. They are spiritual blessings because they are of the Spirit. They come uh, through the Spirit. They are blessings that Jesus has secured, but they come through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, what are those blessings? Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 1 to to list some of them. Election, holiness, blamelessness, redemption by Jesus' blood, forgiveness, the riches of God's grace. The Spirit applies those things to us by uniting us with Jesus. We saw a few weeks ago uh, that the Spirit comes and makes his home in us. And because the Spirit is God together with the Father and the Son that when the Spirit comes to dwell in us, the Spirit brings with him all that belongs to Jesus and makes it ours as well. Paul points to that here in, uh, in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 9, you however, are not controlled, uh, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, uh, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Notice that the Spirit is closely identified with Christ. He is called the Spirit of Christ. And to not have the Spirit is to not belong to Christ. Paul continues, but if Christ is in you, he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, that is, The opposite of not having the Spirit is to have the Spirit and to have Christ in you. To have the Spirit, in other words, is to be united with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul likens our union with Christ through the Spirit to to marriage. He says that just as a husband and wife become one flesh, so too mysteriously the Spirit unites us with Jesus. He says, for it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Well, how does that union with Christ benefit us? How does it help us? It benefits us because we share, by it we share in what is true of Jesus. So back to Romans 8 where Paul says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, well, what does that mean? It means your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The effect of being united with Christ through the spirit is spiritual life now and bodily resurrection like Christ at the last day. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He wasn't there, was he? He wasn't there in person. But because he was united with Christ, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because we are united with Jesus through the Spirit, it's not that Jesus died over there 
and we're over here and we kind of watch on. But when he died, we died with him. His death affects us through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is crucifying our flesh and raising us up with Jesus. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. John Calvin asks, How do we receive those benefits which the Father bestowed on his only begotten Son? Not for Christ's own private use, but that he might enrich poor and needy men. First, we must understand, he says, that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. For this reason, he is called our head and the firstborn among many brothers. We also, in turn, are said to be engrafted into him and to put on Christ. For as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. To sum up, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. Well, what does that mean? It means a few things, I think. First, it means that if you're a Christian, you must have the Spirit, because the Spirit is essential to the Christian life, because it's the Spirit that unites us to Jesus. Sometimes people teach that we come to know Jesus, that's the first stage of the Christian life, and then somehow, at uh, some stage later on, we, we get a kind of a second blessing where we receive the Spirit or we receive more of the Spirit or something like that. But that's not true because the Spirit's role is to join us to Jesus. And if we don't have the Spirit joining us to Jesus, then we don't have anything. We can't be Christians. But on the flip side, if we do have the Spirit joining us to Jesus, we have all that we need. What else is there to get? Second, the Spirit's role in uniting us to Jesus means that we don't begin the Christian life with Jesus and then move on to the Spirit as a kind of a higher life because the work of the Spirit is to unite us with Jesus and to keep on applying the work of Jesus in our lives more and more. So Paul says in Philippians that he pursues holiness by seeking more, uh, Christ more. He wants to know Christ more and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So how do you deal with ongoing sin in your life? You start by confessing it and asking God to crucify you with Jesus, to raise you up with him to make you more like Christ, to enable you to know Christ more and more every day. You ask God that there will be less of you and more of Christ. And you set yourself to pursue Christ with all you've got. We don't begin the Christian life by being united with Jesus through the Holy Spirit and then move on to something else. We continue in the Christian life through the Holy Spirit who makes the work of Christ more and more a reality in our lives. 
Third, the Holy Spirit's role in uniting us with Jesus means that irrespective of where we are now, God sees us as in Christ because we really are in Christ. We're united to him. And all that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. God doesn't look at us and see that we need to die for our sins because if you are in Christ, you have died with Christ. God doesn't see us as dead in sin, but alive in Christ. God doesn't see us as his enemies, but as his children, because we are united with Christ, his son. You might feel like the world's biggest loser. You might be the world's biggest loser. It might not just be a feeling. But if you are in Christ, you are so incredibly valuable because you are united to the Son whom God loves. You might think, well, I'm an unlovable person. And maybe you are. (laughs) But if you are in Christ... God loves you as he loves his own son. You might feel so low, so destitute, but if you are in Christ, then you have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Next time you think to yourself, well, my life is not worth living because I'm nothing. Say to yourself, no, that's a lie, actually, because I'm in Christ and I've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Next time you feel alone with no one else, remember that you are in Christ and that you're not alone because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. There are lots of things I think that you can say about the work of the Spirit. You can talk about prophecy and visions and miracles and spiritual gifts, but far and away the most precious and the most important, the most central work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us with Jesus and to make all that Jesus has won and done in himself to make that a reality in our lives. The uh, gift of the Spirit, then, is the fruit of the work of Jesus. Second, the Spirit unites us with Jesus and applies all that Jesus has done to us. But last of all, the Spirit is a seal of our future inheritance. In numerous places in the New Testament, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as a seal or a guarantee. So he says in Ephesians 1 verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He was the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is the Holy Spirit? He is a seal of our future inheritance. When I... uh, Graduated from university, I received a certificate, a, a certificate, a testimony, as it's, uh, it's called apparently. Uh, and and on that certificate, pressed into that is the seal of the university. It's it's pressed, it's embossed in the paper. It's pressed into the paper. And that seal is there as a guarantee 
to say that that is a genuine article, to say that I actually graduated from university. So too, the Holy Spirit is a seal pressed into us, a seal of our authenticity. Here's the seal, the guarantee that we belong to God, the seal, the guarantee that we're part of God's family, the seal, the guarantee that we're really saved. The evidence of the Spirit's work uniting us with Jesus and enabling us to follow him, to become more and more like him, is a seal and a guarantee of our future inheritance. So how do you know that you belong to Jesus? How do you know what God's verdict on the last day will be? You know because you see the work of the Spirit in your life. Well, what does that look like? Here are five tests, five evidences, if you like, of the work of the Spirit in your life as a seal and as a guarantee of your future inheritance. First of all, you see a growing trust in Jesus. You find that more and more in your life, you turn to Christ. Sin drives you to Jesus. In the past, it drove you to despair, but now it drives you to Christ. Difficulties used to weigh you down, but now you trust in God. You trust that God is in control of your life and that you're loved because you are in Jesus. Second, you see a growing obedience. You used to feel like a hypocrite who said one thing and did another, but more and more you find that the choices that you make are choices to follow Jesus. Not perfectly, but it's a growing obedience. And what's more, you really enjoy it. You enjoy serving and following Jesus. You want to be generous when in the past you just wanted to hang on to everything. You want to be kind when in the past you were content to be selfish. You long for holiness and purity when in the past you longed to indulge in all kinds of sin. You see a growing trust, a growing obedience. Third, you see a growing love. You love God, you really do. More and more your heart soars to think of the gospel. To dwell on the depths from which God has plucked you. You love the cross. You love Jesus' compassion and kindness. You love the companionship of the Holy Spirit. You love others because Christ has loved you. Fourth, you see a growing sacrifice. In the past, you did everything to avoid difficulty. You were content to give without pain and to love without cost. You were content to follow your dreams and your own heart rather than to crucify yourself and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You followed the broad and the easy way. Now you follow the hard way that Jesus is leading you through. Fifth, you see a growing hope. To be with God means everything to you. More and more, the promises of this world seem empty 
and vacuous, transitory, fleeting, dying away. And Christ seems more and more. Holiness and blamelessness are the things that stir your heart. And sin is the thing that grieves you more than anything else. A growing trust in Jesus, a growing obedience, a growing love, a growing sacrifice and a growing hope. Those are just some of the evidences that the Spirit is at work in you and has sealed you, stamped you for eternity. To quote Richard Baxter, by these things you may know, while you sit here in these seats, yea, if you lay in the darkest dungeon, that you are heirs of heaven and that your names are there. Those things are seals of an eternal inheritance. They are precious things because they assure us of the love of God and the work of God and the presence of Christ in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there might not, might, there might not be any of those evidences in your life. Uh, no growing trust, no growing obedience, no growing love, no growing sacrifice, no growing hope. And if that's true, then there's no evidence of the work of the Spirit and no evidence of being united with Christ. And if that is you, then flee to Jesus. Come to him. Whoever is thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. A life without the Spirit, a life not united to Jesus, is a thirsty life. But Jesus bids us to come. The work of the Spirit in redemption is to join us to Jesus, not only at the beginning of the Christian life, but throughout it and for eternity. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour, who came to this earth, took on our humanity, was crucified, dead and buried, and ascended to your right hand, that he did all that so that we might receive your power in the Holy Spirit, so that we might be reconciled to you, and that having been reconciled, that you might come and dwell not merely among us, but in us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to come to Christ and drink, to come to Christ and receive the Holy Spirit to come as sinners in need of your grace. And Lord, for those of us who have come and drunk from that deep well, which is the gospel, Lord, help us to live a life united with Christ. Crucify us, Lord, day by day. Raise us up with him. Make us to know Christ more and more. To say with Paul that we want to know Christ the power of his resurrection, 
and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Help us to long for eternity, Lord, to long for that day when we will be like Christ, holy and blameless, to long for that day when Christ himself will present us in your presence as your people. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling with assurance and uncertainty about where we stand, Lord, help us to see the evidences of your work in us. And Lord, if there is none, help us to flee to Jesus. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.